News Network. A toddler slips through the fence and the Secret Service shuts down the White House. When, seriously, did the leader of the free world begin to fear three-year-olds? More to the point, is this going to become a trend? Well, Mark Twain did say that diapers and politicians should be changed frequently and for the same reasons, so I'm guessing there's a point of commonality with the Oval Office. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And unlike others, you can believe what comes from our leader, Dan Newman. I really need for Pete to be corrected there. That wasn't a three-year-old toddler that slipped through the fence at the White House. That was 80-year-old Joe Biden, who was trying to get back in the White House because he lost himself somewhere in Washington, D.C. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Boy, we have a full show today. My goodness, you're going to hear from people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican member of the House of Representatives from Georgia. Lauren Boebert, another Republican. This one from Colorado. You're going to hear from, hold your breath, Adam Schiff, of all people, Senator Josh Harley. Oh my gosh, we have a full show today. And yes, Adam, Adam, Adam Schiff, habitual liar. Yep, he got busted in Congress yesterday. Sit tight, it's going to be a good one.
wrote that song. I don't think they envisioned it sounding this way, but boy, Sergio Mendez in Brazil 66, they just kind of quieted the fool on the hill. But they didn't take away from the fact that it is a really good song. And they just put their particular style on top of it. That's kind of like what we do here at TNN Live. There are a lot of podcasts out there. You can go a bunch of different places and hear a bunch of different versions of so-called truth and facts. At least that's what a lot of people call them. But you know what? What we do here that's a little different from these other sources, what we do is we give you the facts, but we never tell you, you've just got to believe everything we say. In fact, we do exactly the opposite. We tell you, don't take our word for it. Take these things, investigate them for yourself and come up with confirmation of what you hear here, or you'll find out that we were wrong. And anytime you find out we're wrong, I want to know about it. And you can call me anytime live on the air, toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884. And I mean that. Call me. I want to talk to you about it. I am not one of those guys that believes I know everything. And I certainly don't believe that I'm never going to make a mistake. We do tons of research here, not just me, but other folks that are part of this process. And so when we come live, you can almost, every time, you can bet when we say it's facts, it's factual. Now, the only reason it wouldn't be or might not be factual is because we were hoodwinked. I can't even remember the last time that happened, but I'm not saying it couldn't happen. We're humans. Humans make mistakes, and I don't want to shock you when I say this, but you make a mistake every now and then yourself. (laughs) That's just the way life for all humans is just the way it's wired. We all have to handle those things. It's part of human nature. So let's put all that to the side. I want to get right to business today. I told you, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, also Adam Schiff, Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley is here. You're going to hear Jim Jordan, and he gets into the House Oversight Committee investigation and the drilling of Special Prosecutor John Durham in a House uh, committee hearing yesterday. And it gets contentious. In fact, everything you're going to hear today pretty much is contentious. It's coming off of Capitol Hill. So why don't we start right here? Why don't we, before we get into the uh, Adam Schiff stuff and get into the John Durham stuff, let's talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is about to force an impeachment vote on the floor of the House to impeach President Joe Biden. So by superseding House Republican leadership's ability to control what comes to the House floor, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, Republican, will launch articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, bypassing the usual process for bringing any piece of legislation to a full House vote. Her resolution will force House Republicans to vote on it. I don't know what it's going to take to get them to realize what fools Republicans look like in Congress 
for not moving forward on impeachment, Green said. Joe Biden is a criminal, and as vice president of the United States, he committed crimes. He committed crimes, high crimes, and misdemeanors. We now know on the Oversight Committee through our investigation that he took a $5 million bribe from a Ukrainian oligarch in order to get Viktor Shokin fired. Viktor Shokin was that Ukrainian prosecutor that was heavy looking into corruption at Burisma. Burisma is the company where Hunter Biden was sitting on the board and for that he was working hard. He, he just ran every part of that company, Burisma, right? Wrong. He didn't do anything except cash his million dollars per year that he was paid to sit on that board. Green said, we've got bank records, after bank records, after bank records that show that money was transferred, wire transferred in, from all kinds of countries all over the world, from all kinds of foreign nationals and businesses and state governments into the fake LLC, paying the Biden family members. Everybody knows this, Green said, but for some reason, Republicans in Congress can't even start the process of impeachment. They can't even begin it at this point. She said her privilege resolution posted on congress.gov was the most viewed bill on the site all day Wednesday, yesterday. But despite the grassroots interest in the bill, Green said Republican members on the House Judiciary Committee, they don't support the impeachment effort. Everyone knows that Joe Biden is a criminal. And they, she means Republicans, will not move forward with impeachment anywhere in judiciary. Because you know what? You know what it is? There's a couple of Republicans that sit on the Judiciary Committee, Ken Buck and Tom McClintock, who don't want to vote for impeachment. So today I addressed the entire Republican conference and told them that I could not disagree with them anymore on their stance on an impeachment because leadership is completely against it, she said. They just aren't there yet. And I told every single one of them I could not disagree with them more. Green's difference of opinion, it, it, it doesn't appear to impact her relationship with House leadership. She said yesterday she intends to keep the lines of communication open, hopefully change leadership's mind. I support our leadership, she said. I, I support Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker. I have all along, and I still do. But I will have a conversation with Kevin McCarthy and the rest of leadership before I file my privilege resolution. And if she files it today, and I'll check before we're through here this morning, if she files it today, could be ready for a vote as soon as tomorrow. If the legislative language is not ready by then, it will be voted on when members of Congress return to D.C. in two weeks. They're all coming home to their various places of residence to do some campaigning. Remember, they've got each, each one of them, every one of the 435 members of the House, they've got an election coming up next November. So they got to spend time at home. They got to go out there and spend those campaign dollars, raise some more, and get folks to line up to vote for them. That's what it's all about. Well, that's the impeachment or the proposed impeachment of this president, Joe Biden, 
But there's somebody else, somebody directly in the House of Representatives that's under fire, has been under fire for some time. Probably the most dishonest person I've ever known to be in the House of Representatives. I'm talking about Congressman Adam Schiff from California. He um, He's one of a kind. I've said this over and over and over again. The guy lies so much, so often, he doesn't think he's lying. And there's a term for that in science. It's pathological. When somebody lies so much, it becomes very apparent at some point that that lying has become part of that person's psych, their psychological makeup. And therefore, they're considered to be pathological liars. That means somebody just lies all the time because that's what they do. It's built into their personality. And I honestly feel Adam Schiff falls into that category. Well, he has a foe in Colorado in Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. And she has proposed a second censure motion. Censure, not kicking Adam Schiff out of Congress, but censuring him. Until last night, there had in the history of the United States of America, our Congress, our House of Representatives, only 25 members had ever been censured. But, well, we'll get to that. By the way, I thought I'd let you hear Lauren Boebert on the floor talking about her proposed censure that was just about to be filed in the House. Adam Schiff is a complete disgrace to our nation and to our Constitution. He put the American people through four years of an endless impeachment hoax that he knew from the beginning was a lie. He represents the worst of permanent Washington, using his position of trust to lie to the American people. He received intelligence briefings that other members and the public did not have access to. And he used this position of trust to lie and to advance his own partisan agenda. Schiff's disgraceful time in Congress has destroyed Americans' faith in our institutions. Today, I am proud to stand with my colleague and friend from Florida, Anna Paulina Luna, to try and undo some of the damage that Adam Schiff has done by finally holding this crook accountable. Today, we are saying enough is enough by censoring him, censuring him, and referring him to the Ethics Committee. I told the American people that he had to prove, he, that he had proof that Trump, the Trump campaign asking uh, the Russians for help in a conspiracy. That was a lie. He claimed that he was not working with anonymous informants during the impeachment hoax. That was a lie. Everyone with common sense knew that Adam Schiff was lying all along, including the director of national intelligence, Obama's former attorney general, the FBI deputy director, and more. But Adam Schiff doubled down on his big lie, claiming he had a smoking gun, proof of a conspiracy, But the only conspiracy going on was his conspiracy to defraud the American people by taking down their duly elected president. Minutes to Representative Boebert. 
Gentlewoman's recognized. When Adam Schiff got caught lying, he did what all liars do and tried to cover the truth even more. He even used his taxpayer-funded staff to ask Twitter to censor journalists fact-checking his lies. But Adam Schiff won't get out of this one by calling in a favor. Today, we are holding him accountable and censuring him for his lies to the American people. To restore the trustworthiness of the House of Representatives, every member should vote to censure Adam Schiff so that we can speak with one voice to assure the American people that these lies will not be tolerated. I urge every one of my colleagues with good and decent intentions to vote for this resolution. If Adam Schiff has a shred of human decency left, he would resign from Congress in disgrace. His tombstone should read of his failed career in Congress and should be expired. one word, liar. I yield back. Liar. That's Congresswoman Lauren Berbert. She, Bobert. She's talking about Adam Schiff, who in just a little while after she gave that speech, uh, there was a vote held about censuring Adam Schiff. But before that happened, Mr. Schiff went to the floor and gave a speech himself. Hang on just a second. Okay, where, oh, where? I wanted you to hear from Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff himself. I'm going to get that for you in a moment. Here. I found it. (laughs) I found it. Schiff went to the floor just before the vote was taken, and uh, they usually do that when something big is coming up. They'll let the person that is the subject of a uh, House motion that's being heard, they'll let that person come speak on the floor of the House of Representatives. And that happened. Here's Adam Schiff. To my Republican colleagues who introduced this resolution, I thank you. You honor me with your enmity. You flatter me with this falsehood. You who are the authors of a big lie about the last election must condemn the truth-tellers, and I stand proudly before you. Your words tell me that I have been effective in the defense of our democracy, and I am grateful. And yet this false and defamatory resolution comes at a considerable cost to the country and to the Congress. At a moment when millions of people in our home state of California are unable to find a place to live or afford a place to live, Speaker McCarthy chooses to occupy the resources of Congress for two straight weeks on this hollow sop to the MAGA crowd. He offers nothing to those who are homeless or addicted to opioids or to millions of college students mired in debt but this paltry distraction. Donald Trump is under indictment for actions that jeopardize our national security, and McCarthy would spend the nation's time on petty political payback thinking he can censure or fine Trump's opposition into submission. But I will not yield. Not one inch. The cost to the Speaker's delinquency is high. 
but the cost to Congress of this frivolous and yet dangerous resolution may be even higher as it represents another serious abuse of power. Donald Trump has threatened that any of you that defy him and vote against this partisan resolution will be met by a primary challenge. And he calls for my imprisonment. If a transient majority can punish and attempt to silence members who hold a corrupt president to account, there is no telling what further corruption of office will follow. And I say this to Speaker McCarthy and others who wish to gratify Donald Trump with this act of subservience or bend to his demands. Try as you might to expel me from Congress or silence me with a $16 million fine, you will not succeed. You might as well make it $160 million. You will never deter me from doing my duty. No matter how many false justifications or slanders you level against me, you but indict yourselves. As Liz Cheney said, there will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. This resolution attacks me for initiating an investigation into Trump campaign solicitation and acceptance of Russian help in the 2016 election. Even though the investigation was first led not by me, but by a Republican chairman. It would hold that when you give internal campaign polling data and your uh, polling data to a Russian intelligence operative, while Russian intelligence is helping your campaign, as Trump's campaign chairman did, that you must not call that collusion, though that is its proper name, as the country well knows. It would fine me for the costs of the critically important Mueller investigation into Trump's misconduct, even though the special counsel was appointed by Trump's own attorney general. It would reprimand me over a flawed FISA application as if I were its author or I was the director of the FBI and over flaws only discovered years later and by the Inspector General, not Mr. Durham. In short, it would accuse me of omnipotence, the leader of some vast deep state conspiracy, and of course, it is nonsense. But here is the real gravamen of my offense. I led the first impeachment of Donald Trump for one of the most egregious presidential abuses of power in our history. And I led a trial which resulted in the first bipartisan vote to remove a president in history. And I would do so again. I warned that if Trump was not held accountable, he would go on to try to cheat in even worse ways in the next election, and he did, inciting a violent attack on this very capital. And after that, I participated in some of the most important hearings in congressional history, hearings that exposed Donald Trump's incitement of a dangerous insurrection to pretend to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. My colleagues, if there is cause for censure in this House, and there is, it should be directed at those in this body who sought to overturn a free and fair election. The question, my Republican colleagues, is not why am I the subject of this false resolution for doing my constitutional duty, but why are you not? Why are you not standing beside me, the subject of a similar rebuke 
for speaking the truth? Why did you not stand up to Donald Trump? Why did you not reject his immorality? Why did you not condemn his dishonesty? Why did you not speak out when his horde attacked this capital? Or now, when he treats the nation's secrets with such carelessness, lawlessness, and disdain? Why did you hide from efforts to hold him accountable? Why were you silent, afraid, unwilling to do your ethical, constitutional duty? Why did you cower? Why did you cower? And why do you still? Will it be said of you that you lack the courage to stand up to the most immoral, unlawful, and unethical president in history, but consoled yourselves by attacking those who did? Today, I wear this partisan vote as a badge of honor, knowing that I have lived my oath, knowing that I have done my duty to hold a dangerous and out-of-control president accountable, and knowing that I would do so again in a heartbeat if the circumstances should ever require it. I thank you, and I yield back. That, of course, Congressman Adam Schiff from California. Let me just say this about Mr. Schiff and that speech that you just heard. That was my fourth or fifth time to listen to it since he gave it yesterday. And every time he gave it, every time he gave it, and what I just heard, you heard with me. I threw up a little bit in my mouth every time because the guy, he either doesn't have a clue about truth or he does, and this is even worse, he does and he doesn't care, doesn't care at all. That's why I believe he doesn't know that he's lying. It's just become part of his personality, maybe even his biology, because he lies all the time. You just heard dozens of lies, verified lies, debunked things that he said, and he just said again, just like they're proven facts, when the exact opposite is proven. And I'm not going to go through and just debunk every one of them. You know them. So, not long after that, the inevitable happened. The House got together. And for the 26th time in United States government House of Representatives history, only the 26th time in history, the House voted to censure Congressman Adam Schiff from California. You know, the one you just heard that he maintains he's perfect. By his adoption of House Resolution 521, the House has resolved that the House of Representatives censures Adam Schiff, representative of the 30th Congressional District of California. You're listening to the very calm, very professional Democrat fascist party in the United States. I will begin again. Speaker McCarthy trying to hold some kind of peace. By its adoption of House Resolution 521, the House has resolved that the House of Representatives censures Adam Schiff. And the cat calls go on and on and on. By its adoption of House Resolution 521, the House has resolved. 
that the House of... Oh, no. Oh, no. We're mad little boys and girls. You're saying ugly things about our bully. I have all night. By its adoption of House Resolution 521, the House is resolved. That the House of Representatives censures Adam Schiff, representative of the 30th Congressional District of California, for misleading the American public and for, and for conduct unbecoming of an elected member of the House of Representatives, that Representative Adam Schiff will be forthwith present himself in the well of the House of Representatives for the pronouncement of censure. That Representative Adam Schiff will be censured with the public reading of this resolution by the Speaker. And that the Committee on Ethics shall conduct an investigation into Representative Adam Schiff's falsehoods, misrepresentations, and abuse of sensitive information. So what you're hearing in the background as Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, is doing what constitutionally he is supposed to do, which is informing the House that the House, and they all already knew it, they had just voted to censure Adam Schiff. If there is a hundred reasons for them doing this censure process for Adam Schiff, only one thing he did, in my opinion, is all it took to justify his being censured. In fact, justifies the people of his district kicking him out of that office. And of course, he's pretty much doing that himself because he's running for the Senate seat Diana Feinstein holds right now. She's not coming back next year. And he's running for that seat in the U.S. Senate for California. But the one thing he did, and he did it over and over and over again. And even in the last couple of months, he said it again. He has uncontroverted evidence, hardcore evidence, that Donald Trump colluded with Vladimir Putin and Russia to help him win that 2016 presidential election. You know, the one that he beat Hillary Clinton in. Adam Schiff to this day claims that he still has evidence that proves, uncontroverted evidence, that Donald Trump colluded with Vladimir Putin to win that election. And that collusion, according to Schiff, is the only reason Donald Trump was elected. Forget about the American people, you know, the ones that voted for Donald Trump. Forget about all of them, the tens of millions of those people. We're all supposed to bow at the altar of Adam Schiff, keeper of the facts, arbiter of the truth. And anybody, anybody at all that disagrees with him on anything, who are you? You're just a MAGA extremist. Your opinion, your thoughts, even if you're an American citizen, even if you're a college-educated American citizen or an expert in some field. When it comes to politics, when it comes to righteousness and government, you have to bow at the altar of Adam Schiff, the know-all, the see-all, and the arbiter of facts. 
Congressman Adam Schiff, that now can put another big reward on his office in the House of Representatives building. And that is Adam Schiff, the 26th member of the United States House of Representatives that throughout our 240-year history, number 26, to be censured by his fellow House of Representative members. But of course, Adam couldn't lay that down. He couldn't let that stand. He just basically called every member that voted against him in that censure motion. You're nothing but a MAGA fool. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky. Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there. With Southwest Airlines, fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They They toasted toasted six-month-old-age cheddar cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. That's genius, no delicious, no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is is my style. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. Boy, we have much to cover in today's TNN Live show. We're going to do our best to get all the way through it. We're going to go back to the House of Representatives to committee hearing and also to the Senate before we're done today. But in just a minute, we'll go back. uh, Let's see. Yeah, we'll go back to the House of Representatives, the John Durham testimony yesterday before the House Committee, the House Judiciary Committee. And you're going to hear some more insanity. I can't describe it in any other way, any better way than to listen to Democrats. Honestly, I think they breathe different air than I breathe, or they eat different stuff because what they say, it seems to just be part of their DNA. And maybe being conservative is just part of my DNA. I don't know. But I can look at both sides of the spectrum, and let me just say this. I have pulled the Democrat lever of several people running for office that I vote on in Louisiana. In fact, I can only vote here in Louisiana. I don't have uh, 
the ability to go and vote multiple times in some elections, which we know that now. We absolutely know that happens from election to election. All that being said, I vote for a candidate, not for a political moniker, you know, like Democrat or Republican, and certainly not for just a political party. I vote for the candidate, and I pick the best one that's running for that particular spot. Doesn't matter if it's local, state, or federal. I want the best, most qualified people that have in their rearview mirror some success at doing things that qualify them to hold those positions. Yeah, it's just my opinion, but that's the way America is structured. We have, each of us individually, we have every right to vote for whom we want to vote in any and every election. And by the way, you have the right not to vote at all, although that's not a really smart thing to do. If you're going to be concerned about leadership in the country, all of us need to vote in every election. That being said, 83% of the American people that were polled on this particular issue, let's call it 83% that did so, say that the FBI should make Joe Biden bribery's file public. 83%. 83% of those believe the FBI should make its informant file with all the details that alleges President Biden accepted a $5 million bribe from Ukrainian oligarch Mikola Zlochevsky, who is the founder of Burisma Holdings. And this is coming from a Harvard-Harris poll. I just wanted to double down and remind you, 83% of us say, we want to see everything that's in it. And by the way, don't you think we should? Why wouldn't they show it to us? You think there are some international or national secrets in there, things that are there that, oh, we don't need to trouble the American people with. You can bet there are things in it that they would say that. But it doesn't mean it's true. Just open the file. Let us discern and make decisions and choices for ourselves based upon the facts that we see and hear and read that are in that file. Why don't they do that? You and I both know that. Christopher Ray, probably the most corrupt FBI director we've ever had. And I wouldn't two years ago have even thought that, let alone said that. After Mueller, Robert Mueller, who was FBI director before Comey, and then there's Jim Comey, and now we have Christopher Ray. That's three bad apples in a row. And if you're a credible American, you can't You can't say that's not facts. Based upon the corruption that we've seen, top to bottom, the seventh floor of the FBI building, the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, D.C., is corrupt from one hall ending to the other on that floor. That's where all the big shots hang out. So let's just kind of fast forward and move down to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Guess what Joe Biden is in the process of doing? In a very quiet move behind, without the approval of Congress or the American people, President Biden has signed a new executive order. 
Its number is 14067, 14067. Write that down. Go online either now or when you get a minute later on and Google that. Joe Biden executive order number 14067. Here's what's inside of it. Buried in the middle of it is a sinister provision that could give the government unprecedented control over your money and your freedom at the same time. In fact, Executive Order Number 14067, it sets a stage for this. Legal government surveillance of every U.S. citizen don't have to have a warrant anymore. They can do it just as a whim. They think they should, they can do it legally. It also will take control over your bank accounts and all of your purchases. And it comes with the ability to silence all dissenting voices for good. It's no wonder Fox News called this move a deeply troubling development. Still, most Americans have never even heard of Executive Order 14067. That's not one that Joe Biden is going to hold a press conference and wave it up there after he signed it and said, looky here, look what I'm doing for you. So it's a good thing a guy named Jim Rickards, a world-renowned economist, former advisor to both the CIA and the Pentagon, he sounded the alarm on this troubling new development. He's got a presentation out there. In it, he reveals shocking truth about this executive order and why it's a direct threat to you and me, our freedom, the freedom of every single American citizen. In fact, according to Rickards, this order could mean the end of the U.S. dollar as we know it. The end. We're in for a major upheaval of the U.S. dollar, Rickards said. In fact, I predict the third great dollar earthquake has already begun. The first was when Roosevelt confiscated all the private gold back in 1934 the second was Nixon's abandonment of the gold standard in 1971. Now, Rickard says, Biden's plan could pave the way for retiring the U.S. dollar, doing away with it totally, and replacing it with this disturbing new alternative. And by the way, this is not some far-off pipe dream. It's happening right now. Executive Order 14067, it already gives Biden unprecedented power over the future of our U.S. dollar. Sadly, most Americans will be completely caught off guard. So this must-see presentation, which explains in detail how you can prepare for this critical event right now, today. Four steps are included in it. So, Google Executive Order 14067, 14067, and then Google Rickards presentation, and Rickards is spelled R-I-C-K-A-R-D-S, R-I-C-K-A-R-D-S. I'm not going to go through the four things, steps that we can take to profit from this fallout that is about to happen. But believe me, it's an opportunity. It's coming. 
After you read the executive order, you'll understand exactly what's coming, and it has to do with your money. It has to do with my money. And something coming down the pipe that we're not going to be happy about. But government does it. We're going to have to find a way to live with it. And there are some ideas in these four points that will help you do that. This is not a commercial or an ad. I'm just pointing you to a source of information to get some answers, some that you can verify for yourself and decide these are good ones. I'll jump in there and start taking advantage of it, or you can just poo-paw them and move on down the road. Forget about them. That's up to you. But I didn't want you not to know about it. Come back and say, why didn't you tell us about this? This is Truth News Network. There's something that it keeps popping back to the surface of news that really troubles me all the time. The entire Biden family, Joe Biden, his brothers, his sisters, daughters, sons, cousins, they will not even recognize Hunter's child. But the president won't even say more until he gets cornered by a reporter. CBS News senior White House and political correspondent Ed O'Keefe. Yesterday, he reported on CBS News there's still an issue with Joe Biden's grandchild, fathered by Hunter Biden, that the Biden family hasn't recognized and has yet to be settled. But President Biden probably won't say anything more about it until he's cornered by a reporter on it at some point again, if at all. CBS News senior White House correspondent Ed O'Keefe said that President Biden's approach is to not say much of anything at all in public about Hunter Biden and that the president's statement that he's proud of his son about all we're going to get from him until he's cornered by a reporter on it at some point again, if ever at all. The White House understands it's a personal, it's a family matter, not only a five-year legal ordeal that may or may not be over, there may be other legal matters that we just don't know about yet. There's an issue also, frankly, with Hunter's, I guess for a lack of a better term, love child, frankly, with a woman in Arkansas that the Biden family hasn't recognized and has yet to be settled as well. So that no one remains out there as well. And it all speaks to the personal issues that Hunter has faced that the president is especially sensitive to, as any parent would be for their child. That's the way the White House is treating this. Forget about the fact there's a, a grandbaby out there, little girl, cute as a button, and she's got a grandfather. I don't even know if they've told her that the president of the United States is her grandfather. I don't even know if they told her she'd be cognizant of that, but it doesn't matter. She is. The court ordered blood proof has happened. That's been done. And it verifies Hunter is the baby's dad. The missing link in the conversation is what does mama say? Mama was a stripper at the time that Hunter got her pregnant. But you know what? We live in an age where women are supposed to be 
finally receiving full equal rights in every way. And that would include parental rights. Don't hear anything about mama going postal other than she asked in court for Hunter's child support to be increased and apparently he hadn't been paying child support in quite a while. Whether or not you know this or understand it, he makes a lot of money. And if you look in his rearview mirror, the stuff that we've been able to uncover, he he has a lot of net worth that he's accumulated. I don't know if he's blown it. That's not an issue here. There's a lot of money floating around. And by law, that baby, Joe Biden's grandbaby, is supposed to be recipient of a bunch of that. If I was mama, and I'm not, I don't even know her name, none of my business really, But listen, we're supposed to have people that represent us in offices at every level, including whoever abides in our house, the White House. They're supposed to be good, well-rounded people that are big into doing the right stuff in every part of their lives, including especially their own families. And Grandpa President Joe Biden doesn't even acknowledge that little grand girl granddaughter of his come on now doesn't that tell you something about our president that's got to be handled it's all i can say it's got to be handled well speaking of handling things yesterday john durham special counsel john durham that was given the really difficult task of finding out what the true source of the Russia collusion hoax was regarding that faux investigation by Robert Mueller, trying to verify that Donald Trump, members of his campaign, others had colluded with Russia to get him elected. John Durham sat before the House Judiciary Committee yesterday. When we come back, you're going to hear some takeaways that will blow your mind. And you nor I really knew anything or very little about John Durham until this all came to light. We just knew it took him a long time to investigate that stuff. And when his report came out, I actually was in Africa when it came out and it was published. I downloaded it. And on my flight back from Africa, my 15 hour flight, oh my gosh, from Qatar To Dallas-Fort Worth, I read the Durham report. It is full of so much factual information. I constantly, while I was reading it, I would go, oh my God, this can't be true. Durham on Capitol Hill. You're going to hear from him next. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto & Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto & Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding rental and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection, ladder and scaffold training and inspections, little giant ladders, custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds, delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds, we take 
Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Enrique Santos for Taco Bell. The toasted cheddar chalupa from Taco Bell is back, and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Did they really toast six-month-old aged cheddar right onto a delicious flaky chalupa shell again? Yes, they did. But now it's even tastier. It comes with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink, all in a $5 box. That's right, all that for just a little cheddar. But don't forget, it's back for a limited time. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box, only at Taco Bell. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. Yep, serving up plenty of facts. Now, before we go into Durham and you hear from him and Jim Jordan, chairman of that committee, Adam Schiff, he stepped up again yesterday after Durham testified, and uh, he claimed that special counsel Durham showed bias and tried to downplay allegations in the probe of Russia collusion with former Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. Durham testified in this hearing, was held by the House Judiciary Committee, on the findings of that investigation. Bunches of Democrats on the committee attacked Durham during the hearing. I'm not going to play Adam Schiff attacking Durham. I'll tell you what he said. And then you're going to hear from Durham himself and Jim Jordan. And then after that, I want you to listen to the most egregious attack of John Durham by another member of the House of Representatives. So here's what Schiff said, quote, he's talking about John Durham. He was really trying to downplay the significance of the president's son being offered dirt on Hillary Clinton something that was representative of Don Jr. as part of the Russian government's effort to help the Trump campaign, taking a secret meeting to receive that information along with the campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, along with his brother-in-law, Jared Kushner. He wanted to downplay it. He wanted to minimize it. Just speaking to his go-to news source, you know, those impartial magnates of great news, MSNBC and the host, Nicole Wallace. He wanted to suggest, this happens all the time. Well, let's see. Hillary Clinton, at the same time, she funded the Steele dossier, which was totally debunked. She had an illegal server that violated classified information every time any kind of uh, transaction took place on that server. Oh, by the way, the president, then president of the United States, Barack Obama, he picked up his own Gmail address and he commiserated over emails between Hillary Clinton and the president of the United States using his Gmail account, which by the way, White House officials, IT officials, nobody knew that he actually had a Gmail account and he was using it to talk to his then Secretary of State. They did all of that. That's nothing wrong in the eyes of people like Adam Schiff, right? 
Schiff often made claims about alleged collusion between Trump's campaign and Russia after Trump beat Hillary. Durham released a report on the origins of the FBI investigation of allegations that former President Trump and his 2016 campaign colluded with Russia that found that the FBI, this is Durham's report, they found the FBI did not and could not corroborate any of the claims from the now discredited Steele dossier. In that answer, Schiff said, and so many others, what it really betrayed is exactly what he accused the FBI of, and that is confirmation bias, Schiff said. You could really see his bias. Talking about John Durham, he's talking Schiff. You could really see Durham's bias into thinking that what the Trump campaign did was fine. Or he wasn't going to call it collusion, even though there is no other name for what the Trump campaign tried to do. Okay, enough from that. Let's go listen to some real adults (laughs) that can have real conversations. How about Congressman Jim Jordan in that committee hearing? And Congressman Jordan's talking back and forth, having a conversation, actually talking to Durham and listening to Durham and letting Durham respond to questions. Uh, Mr. Durham, in the summer of 2016, did our government receive intelligence that suggested Secretary Clinton had approved a plan to tie President Trump to Russia? Yes. Was that intelligence important enough for Director Brennan to go brief the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the Attorney General of the United States, and the Director of the FBI? Yes. And was that intelligence put then into a memorandum, a referral memorandum? Yes. And was that memorandum then given to Director Comey and Agent Strzok? That's who it was addressed to, yes. Did Director Comey share that memorandum with the FISA court? I'm, I'm sorry, can you... Did he share that memorandum with the FISA court? Did Director Comey do that? I'm not aware of that if he did. Did he share it with the, with the lawyers preparing the FISA application? Not to my knowledge. Did he share it with the agents on the case, working the Crossfire Hurricane case? No. Didn't share with the agents on the case. Can you tell the committee what happened when you took that referral memo and shared it with one of those agents, specifically Supervisory Special Agent Number One? We interviewed the uh, first supervisor of the um, Crossfire uh, investigation, um, the operational person. Uh, We showed him the intelligence um, information. Uh, He indicated he had never seen it before. Uh, He immediately became uh, emotional, uh, got up and left the room with his lawyer, um, spent some time in the hallway, came back. um, He was ticked off, wasn't he? He was ticked off because this is something he should have had as an agent on the case. It's important information that the director of the FBI kept from the people doing the investigation. The information was kept from him. (laughs) Who's Charles Dolan? Charles Dolan uh, is a public uh, relations person here in uh, Washington, D.C. He had uh, prior involvement, professional involvement with the Russian government, representing Russian government interests. Uh, He was a person that was associated with Igor uh, Danchenko. Um, He was also buddies with the Clintons, wasn't he? uh, He had um, held positions um, when uh, President Clinton was president. And their campaign advisory to Secretary Clinton's presidential campaign, executive director of the Democrat Governors Association, that's the same Charles Dolan we're talking about? Uh, Yes. Yeah, and wasn't he also a key source for information in the dossier? He provided some information that was included in the dossier, Ritz-Carlton stuff, the Manafort stuff. 
In the Crossfire Hurricane investigation and the Mueller investigation, when the FBI interviewed Mr. Dolan, what did he have to say? Um, to my knowledge, they didn't interview Mr. Dolan. They didn't interview this guy? Source for the dossier? Key information in the dossier? Buddies with the Clintons? They didn't talk to him? No. I mean, we report on that because um, even Christopher Steele in October 2016 identified Dolan as somebody that might have information. The I find it interesting they didn't talk to him. What, there were, were there agents on the case who wanted to talk to Mr. Dolan, Mr. Durham? Yes. What happened to analyst number one? She kept pushing to talk to Mr. Dolan. She was ultimately turned down. What happened to her the day that she was turned down and said, no, no, you're, we're not talking to Dolan? What happened to her? Um, at or about the same time, she was assigned to a different project. They moved her. They said, we can't have this. We can't have that. We can't be looking into the Clinton's buddy, a key source for the dossier. They reassigned her. And then what did she do? She memorialized it. She entered a memo to the file because she said, at some point, the inspector general is going to want to know this information. I'm going to make it sure it's recorded contemporaneously. She put it in the file. That's, I mean, it's crazy. They didn't talk to the, the, to the key source. They kept key intelligence from the, the investigators. This is how bad this investigation was. But here's the scary part. I don't think anything has changed. The day your report came out, five weeks ago, May 15th, you got a letter, Mr. Durham, addressed to you from the general counsel at the FBI, Mr. Jason Jones, writes you this six-page letter, and he says, not to worry, everything is fine. It's all been worked out at the FBI. He even says on page two, he says, had the reforms implemented by current FBI leadership, summarized below, been in place in 2016, failures detailed in your report never would have happened. And he underlines it. He said, this would never happen because of the reforms we implemented in 2019 and 2020. And then he says on page four, one of the specific reforms, he says, FBI executive management has instructed investigations should be run out of the field and not from the headquarters. That statement is not true. Five weeks ago, the FBI wrote you and said everything has changed when in fact it hasn't, and a statement in there is absolutely false, and we know it's false because two weeks ago today, we interviewed Stephen D'Antuano, former head of the Washington field office, Mr. Durham, and here's what he said in his transcript. Head of the Washington field office, when the Trump classified document investigation began, he said, that case was handled differently than I would have expected it to be than any other cases handled. We learned a lot of stuff from Crossfire Hurricane that headquarters should not work the investigation. It's supposed to be the field offices. My concern is that the Department of Justice was not following these principles. Nothing is, and that's the thing that scares me the most. Nothing has changed. Mr. Durham, I'm just finished with this. 60% of Americans now believe there's a double standard at the Justice Department. You know why they believe that? Because there is. That has got to change. And I don't think more training, more rules is going to do it. I think we have to fundamentally change the FISA process, and we have to use the appropriations process to limit how American tax dollars are spent at the Department of Justice. I yield back. Doesn't it bother you a little bit to hear these kinds of investigations discussed in these congressional hearings, and we find out every time we have one of these, there's bad stuff happening in our government. Government is doing very quietly, got to admit that, but they're still doing everything that they can to take over, take control of the lives, the everyday lives of American people. I'm talking about decisions that you've been making for many of us 60, 70 years. We've been making those decisions for ourselves. 
After all, we have the freedom to do that. This is the United States of America. We have equal justice under the law, right? Well, at least that's what we're supposed to have, but we're finding out that is not the way it really is. The Hunter Biden plea deal that was announced yesterday where multiple accounts, multiple charges of tax evasion and a federal gun law application and gun ownership process that happened, felonies, both of those, against the president's son, Hunter Biden. He plead to a non-felony, misdemeanor, no jail time. We think he's going to pay a fine, but that hadn't been finalized. Results, if it has been finalized, the results of uh, what he's got to do in that whole plea deal haven't yet been made public. But if you or I did any of those things, now it's said the uh, IRS investigation that's been underway for four years now, they came out and they said he didn't pay taxes at all for two years. That was when he was making all that money at Burisma. Now, how much did he not pay? How much did he owe but didn't pay? And is paying those taxes necessary for him to get such a soft plea deal? Those are things that even though I'm going to keep asking, we may never get to the bottom of it. But that's the kind of stuff that is going on in Democrat-controlled Washington, D.C. So in this same hearing yesterday, Mr. Durham felt some of this unfair, this unequal two-tier justice system as he was grilled by another member of the House of Representatives. This guy's from the South, Steve Cohen who's a Democrat from Tennessee. I want you to listen, not just to the questions that Cohen asked of Durham and Durham's answers, but I want you to listen to the crowd in the background, the people that were in the chamber when this was going on. Yields back the gentleman from Tennessee is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Durham, you were appointed by whom? Um, uh, Who recommended you and appointed you? As the special counsel? No, as the U.S. attorney. As U.S. attorney. Um, It was President Trump at the time, with two Democratic senators from Connecticut supporting the nomination. Mr. Trump appointed you. Do you believe Mr. Trump has pretty good judgment on people, their abilities, and their character? I'm not going to characterize Mr. Trump or my thoughts about Mr. Trump. Mr. Barr appointed you special counsel, is that correct? That's correct. Mr. Trump has called Mr. Barr a gutless pig, a coward, and a rhino. Which of those is correct, which isn't? In my experience, none of those are correct. So Mr. Trump isn't that good of an expert on character and judging people. In your opinion, he isn't, because he's, he's none of those. He's not a gutless pig, but Trump says he is. Yeah. That's outside the scope of my report. Also outside the scope of your report, apparently. <laughs> also outside of the scope of your report or your, was, was apparently the meeting at Trump Tower between the Russians and the Trump boys where they talked about allegedly adoptions, but we know it was really about sanctions. How was that outside of your report? Yeah, I'm not, I'm sorry, I didn't quite follow that. Meeting at the Trump Tower, attorney, uh, Russian attorney came to the Trump and Donald Trump Jr. were just 
wonderful, wonderful. We love it. We love it. Uh, Russian decisions to interact with the Trump campaign and influence the actions of the campaign, allegedly for adoption law, but really for sanctions relief. The FBI came up with that, did they not? I'm, um, a meeting took place at Trump Towers on June 9th. The lure, I understand it, was that there was um, information, derogatory information on Clinton that was going to be provided. They met, and as I believe in a Hipsy report, the Hipsy report fully laid that out, that the discussion then at Trump Towers was about adoption, not about anything relating to Mrs. Clinton. It's totally, it was totally about sanctions. You're trying to get rid of the Magnitsky law. Adoptions is a ruse. Should you not have gone and looked into that and seen what the Russians were wanting in return for that? Because that's the biggest thing Putin wanted at the time, was to get Trump to relieve his people of Magnitsky sanctions. I think that um, uh, Director Mueller investigated that, and I believe one of your House committees um, explored that. That was outside the scope of what we were looking at. And, and, it's, and it was outside the scope of your authority to look at Kalimnikov, Kalim, Kalimnik and, and Manafort meeting and exchanging polling data? Was that out? I'm sorry, I'm not following you. Manafort. Question. You remember Manafort, the crook that managed the campaign for nothing but got tons of money from, the, from different Russian people over the years that y'all pardoned? Mr. Barr later got, helped him with the commutation or a pardon, I think a pardon. Manafort. I know who Ms. Manafort is. Yeah. He met with Kalimnik and they discussed polling data. You don't know about that? I know that Mr. Klumnik met with a lot of people, including people He met the with State Manafort Department. and discussed polling data. Do you not know about that? I'm aware of that. All right. Why did you then th not think it was a good idea for you to look into it and see if the FBI wasn't correct in that there was collusion, a connection between Russia and the Trump campaign to elect Trump? My assignment was to look at the conduct of the intelligence community agencies, uh, not to conduct a separate investigation that was done by House or that's done by the Senate or was done by Director Mueller. You don't think that if there was if the intelligence communities, the FBI, and others came up with this information and did good work, that that should be part of your balanced report? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not following your question. I apologize. Well, if I it's a question. tried to follow your report. Mr. Donald Trump Jr. would have called it a, a nothing burger. Mm -hmm. You got no convictions. You got nothing. It was all set up to hurt the Mueller report, which was correct and was redacted, to hurt the Bidens and to help Trump. And you were a part of it. You have a good reputation. You had a good reputation. That's why the two Democrats supported you. But the longer you hold on to Mr. Barr and this report that Mr. Barr gave you as special counsel, your reputation will be damaged. As everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged, he's damaged goods, there's no good dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time. Sure. My, Can we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on, on how he feels about the pre former president? <laughs> Gentlemen, witness can respond. Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect and my family and my Lord. And I'm Perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir. Well said. God bless you. Um, the um... 
That, my friends, is one of the most vile questioned series of any uh, committee hearing in Congress that I've ever heard. Cohen went after Durham, no question about it. He claimed that Durham should have included information from a grand jury report by then Attorney General William Barr. By the way, he didn't include it because he didn't have it. Barr, by law, is prevented from revealing any grand jury proceedings. Cohen shouldn't know that, and I'm pretty sure he he did. He's trying to make a public appearance that he's Billy Badbutt questioning this witness, John Durham, trying to denigrate John Durham. I like what Durham said there at the end about his reputation and who it's important to him feels he has a good reputation. And it has nothing to do with anybody, but he said his family and his Lord. That's a pretty bold thing to do in a congressional hearing. Kudos to John Durham, who just did the job that he was told to do by his boss, the Attorney General. It's interesting to me to listen to these Democrats in these hearings. They're grasping for straws, and the straws they're grasping for are straws to somehow give them legitimacy in all their uh, claims that they're making about not just former President Donald Trump, not just his campaign, but every person that voted for Donald Trump for president either time and for those that still still support Donald Trump in his quest to win the White House back. And they've come up with this term that is so vile. And I think it's, it's probably become a curse word to a lot of people. MAGA conservatives, MAGA Republicans. So let me ask you, let me throw, let me float an idea out there. Wouldn't it be interesting if somebody came up with a name, a term for Democrats, the ones that are like Steve Cohen there, Congressman Cohen, just really going after people like John Durham with nothing evidentiary, using all supposition, trying to ramp up violence, maybe just emotional violence, but violence no less, against people like John Durham that all he did was do his job in investigation. Cohen wasn't pleased with his methodology of investigating the Trump campaign. He felt like, and he said it, you heard him say it over and over again, Durham should have really dug in there and got in places where he wouldn't and wasn't legally authorized to go. What term could be applied to the Democrat Party, today's Democrat Party? Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. I'm just I'm just I'm just coming up with one off the top of my head. How about Democrat fascist? Democrat fascist. Now what would that be? Democrat is supposed to be the representative word describing a political party that is totally sold out to pure democratic processes for government. Eh, that wouldn't that wouldn't identify this Democrat Party. They're exactly opposite of that. So what's opposite to that? It would be fascist, fascism. 
which is government that controls everything. Typically, in a fascist operation, there's one person that's in charge or maybe a small group of people that are in charge, but it's very, very totally controlled. Every aspect of governing is controlled by either one or a very small group of people. Does that not sound exactly like what this Democrat group of lawmakers wants for the United States of America? I used to call it socialism light, but it's not anything like socialism. Socialism would be what our buddies over the pond are doing and have been for generations. That would be the United Kingdom. It's a socialist society in which government is much more involved in day-to-day operations of things for their people than is our government. But it's still a free and uh, a free society. So they can't point to this Democrat Party and say they want the same things. They want, they demand total control. And the way to gain that control is not to go out and get the minds and the support of the American people, you and me. They want to demand that we just give up our rights to think on all of these issues. You can't do that. That First Amendment thing, oh my gosh, that's so out of date, we need to do away with it. And that Second Amendment thing, oh my gosh, that's got to go. We can't let people have guns, even though our forefathers and our U.S. Constitution guarantees that every American has the right to own a weapon for personal protection if for no other reason. And multiple cases after the Second Amendment was passed and signed and became that amendment dozens of times. Efforts to do away with the Second Amendment have gone to the U.S. Supreme Court and every single time the court has ruled Americans have the unfeathered right everything that comes in the Second Amendment. And still, Democrats are pontificating about taking guns away from Americans. So in that context, let me ask you this as we go to break. Why did our forefathers write that? Why did they come back after the Constitution was written, signed, and adopted by the states? Why did they come back They felt compelled to come back to the American people and present those first 10 amendments. It's called the Bill of Rights. You know why they did? They foresaw what possibly would happen in government compared to the people here in the United States. And they came back and wrote those and got those 10 amendments passed by the American people, incidentally, by the people's representatives the Congress, and then, of course, the representatives that operate the government in each of the states, they got that passed. And here was the reason they did it. They wanted to make sure that every person that served then in the federal government and every person that ever serves in the federal government would know these are the rights that have never belonged to the federal government of the United States and never will In perpetuity, these rights, all of them that are included in those Ten Amendments, especially the first two, the right of speech, the government 
cannot, will not ever be able to abridge the speech of Americans. That's the First Amendment, with other rights included in it, like the right to peaceably assemble. And the Second Amendment, which codifies the fact that Americans have a constitutional, unfettered right to own and bear arms. And the reason they did this was to keep from happening exactly what's happening now in this government, this Democrat fascist government, where the members of that party, especially those that are serving in the House and the Senate, and by the way, in the White House, they understand the American people are not going to let the rights that are enshrined in those Ten Amendments ever be taken away by this government or any government. So it is written. So let it be done. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Barron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items... You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5... Cheap out, say big box. ...and a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your wallet. Good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's. Airport and South Academy. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your Left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. You know, it's kind of sad what's happening out there in the Atlantic, that uh, Ocean Gate Titanic sub search that's underway. The Ocean Gate submarine carrying five passengers, just as a recap, was reported missing on Sunday. The Titan will run out of breathable air sometime, there you're telling us, in the next hour or so. That's really troubling. The passengers have been identified as Ocean Gate CEO Stockton Rush, French Mariner Paul Henry Nogalet, 
British businessman and explorer Harmish Harding, Pakistani businessman Shahzada Dawood, and his son Soleimane Dawood. The five-person submersible weighs about 20,000 pounds. It's capable of diving 13,120 feet. So it's coming down to, um, I mean, the serious time. As an international search and rescue mission to find this Ocean Gate Titan sub, it's been going at epic proportions all this week. And uh, they have repeatedly referred in this investigation to remotely operated vehicles called ROVs. The acronym Remotely Operated Vehicle, the original use is underwater robot that is completely operated by a human operator. Now, this is an explanation by Dr. Brendan Inglet, who's an expert on undersea robotics at the Stevens Institute of Technology up in New Jersey. This analogy might be like the kind of person who operates a piece of construction equipment or a shipping crane, a very high-stakes, high-precision remote operational task and highly trained operator. Advanced ROVs are kind of like a drone, he said, except they're controlled manually. Experts say that ROVs are the best bet to attempt the rescue of Ocean Gate, which vanished Sunday during a dive toward the Titanic shipwreck. On board, we told you who those people are, and a former submarine commander says it's devastating news that the U.S. Navy crane has not been deployed. This is coming from Captain David Marquette, a former U.S. Navy sub-commander. He says it's devastating news that a Navy deep-sea recovery crane system hasn't been deployed yet in the search for Ocean Gate, this Titan Titanic sub. Marquette spoke after Fox News' Mike Tobin reporting from St. John's, Newfoundland, where the search effort is based out of, and he said the Navy FADOS system, FADOS system, has arrived in the Canadian Maritime Province, but the latest information is that a ship hasn't been selected yet to mount it. And so it's sad to say this, but what we're looking at now is not going to be a retrieval, a salvation mess uh, process to go save these people. They're running out of air if they haven't already. And this is sad. But they've just got to keep going. I mean, you think about it. Who wants to be the one that calls off the search for this sub? You just never have any idea of what the realities are. All that being said, our prayers are with the families of those people. And if they are still alive in that sub on the ocean floor, we pray that they get their their lives taken care of quickly, but it's not looking good. So Jesse Waters of Fox News, I like Jesse a lot. He sometimes is a firebrand, and he comes up with some off-the-wall uh, things that he said. But he's got an idea now, a theory, about Hunter Biden's laptop. Hunter's he's uh, stayed away from jail time. And it looks like he's going to stay free after that plea deal on those two misdemeanors and a felony gun charge. That will be dropped as part of this plea deal. And it looks like there are zero consequences for his corruption 
or the acts of depravity that are contained on the hard drive of his infamous laptop. The mood was downbeat on yesterday's edition of The Five. There's some news coming out of The Five today, and we'll get into that in our next half hour. The panel discussed the aftermath of the announcement that Hunter was let off with a limp slap on the wrist and that far more serious charges likely won't be forthcoming from the Department of Justice, at least not for as long as Democrats are in control of the government. That's another example of our two-tiered system of justice. Nobody can credibly say that does not exist today in America. It does. This whole thing, unfortunately, just further undermines the rule of law. That's coming from Democrat Congresswoman Tulsa, Tulsi Gabbard, who joined the regulars on the five. People's faith that we have law and order in this country and that the justice system actually means anything. And so there are too many examples now to cite, but this is just the latest in recognizing that we have an administration and people in power who are willing to direct that power against their political opponents. And also, like every other dictatorship in the country, direct that power to protect those they want to protect. In this case, it's Hunter Biden. And obviously, this sends the wrong message to the American people, but more dangerously, undermines that foundation of our democracy, which is that fair justice system, that rule of law thing. You know, I thought something really positive about the media. This is coming from Greg Gutfeld. He jumped in with one of his trademark zingers. Here's a case of a white guy getting special treatment And they didn't scream for the first time ever, systemic racism. And here's where Jesse weighed in. The feds are never going to crack open the lap time as long as Joe Biden's president. Joe Biden, his administration, is not going to investigate corruption in the Biden family. It's just not going to happen. Plus, the FBI and the CIA has this as blackmail. This is the part of Jesse's theory that kind of got me. Hadn't thought of this. He said they can just dangle it in front of Joe, and he has to do whatever they say or else, boop, there it goes open. The only way it comes open is if a Republican gets into the White House, Waters said. And so they're going to do everything they can to prevent a Republican from getting into the White House because the laptop is basically tells everybody how guilty the entire system is. House Republicans are now looking at these heavily redacted additional brand new FBI informant pieces that Chris Ray is still trying to hide from us all, and we're still looking at more bank records. If you had an impeachment inquiry open up, that can speed up the subpoena process, the witness process, But the House Republicans don't think it's ripe enough to do it right now. They want to let Comer do some more work. But the bottom line, insiders protect insiders, Jesse said. Trump's an outsider. He goes to prison. His people go to prison. But if you're a Washington insider, you get the Hunter Biden treatment. I don't think anybody I know can say that's not the way it really is, because it really is that way. It's sad to say, but it really is. 
So yesterday in another congressional hearing, one LGBTQ activist got stumped by a question that came from Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz. He was questioning human rights campaign president Kelly Robinson during that hearing after Cruz asked her if she could explain the difference between women and men. Have you ever thought about that? In the context of our social system now that has conflated what's a woman and what's a man, how do you define those two words anymore? So yesterday, the Senate Judiciary Committee had a hearing about LGBT issues, and it featured Robinson and former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines. During that hearing, Gaines talked about her experience competing against a male swimmer, and it prompted Cruz to ask the activist Robinson to respond to Gaines' testimony. Senator Cruz first spoke to Gaines, and he asked her, as someone who competed at the elite level in your experiences, is there a difference between women and men? Gaines responded by saying this, of course, I think we learned this at a very young age, watching even 12 and unders play. Going through puberty causes irreversible advantage that no matter the training, no matter the diet, no matter any alterable change you can make will overcome that male advantage, especially in sports like swimming, where lung capacity matters so much, she said. Cruz then pivoted. He turned and asked Robinson, do you agree with Miss Gaines that there's a difference between women and men? If the question is about trans women, Robinson replied, I'm just asking, is there a difference between women and men? Cruz interrupted her. What I can say is that the NCAA has rules in place. They've had rules in place for the last decade, Robinson said. Cruz pressed her a little further. No, he said, I'm asking a question. Do you believe there's a difference between women and men? Most people could answer this very simply. I'm curious if you're willing to do so. Robinson, I think that there are definitions related to sex. Is that a yes? I'm trying to get a yes or no. I'm not trying to get a speech, the senator said. Robinson's organization, it's called the Human Rights Campaign, recently declared a national state of emergency for LGBTQ Americans. And they said this in this emergency, we have officially declared a state of emergency for LGBTQ plus people here in the United States for the first time following an unprecedented and dangerous spike in anti-LGBTQ plus legislative assaults that are sweeping state houses this year. And so if you didn't know this, Gaines was a swimmer from the University of Kentucky. She gained media attention after competing against trans swimmer Leah Thomas at the 2022 NCAA Women's Championships. And boy, she has been ripped apart nationally over and over and over again. And it's sad that it's happened that way. Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, he was in that same Senate hearing yesterday, and he talked to Riley Gaines about what's going on and what she's facing as a swimmer 
and how it's impacting women, biological women, around the United States. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to the witnesses for being here. Ms. Gaines, I want to start with you. Thank you for your courage in being here today. Thank you for your courage and advocacy for women. You have been subjected to an unbelievable amount of abuse. You talk about intimidation, threats of violence. You have suffered it. I want to put up here a picture so everybody can see it. This was the welcome you were treated to at San Francisco State University just a couple of months ago when a, a mob assembled where you were supposed to speak, I believe for over three hours, screamed, threatened you, barricaded you in a room. Do I have that basically correct? Yes. I was held for ransom for three and a half hours um, by hundreds of these protesters, as you see on the board. Um, they demanded that I had to pay them money if I wanted to make it home to see my family safe again. The law enforcement in San Francisco, um, I respect, and I think law enforcement is what's brave, not me, and I respect all law enforcement, but what the law enforcement I was met with in San Francisco, in my opinion, failed miserably in effectively doing their job. Um, they had mentioned that it was not ideal for them to be seen as anything other than an ally to this community, um, and that was made very obvious in the treatment and effectiveness of, of removing me safely from that situation. Why were you threatened and barricaded into a room and held for ransom for hours on end? I mean, what, what was it you were saying that was so, so terrible? I was invited to speak on my experience of my senior year in competing against a male. Um, nothing opinionated about what I shared. It was surely the exact lived experience of what me and my teammates and fellow competitors dealt with. And so I spoke. I, after my speech, there was, of course, a lot of protesters in the room, which I'm totally fine with people protesting. It's their right to protest. But what I'm not fine with is when it does turn violent in the way that it did. Because protesters afterwards, they rushed into the room. They turned off the lights. They rushed to the front. Um, myself and others were assaulted. And that's ultimately when I was held for hostage for three and a half hours. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, thank you for your courage in the midst of that. Let's talk a little bit about the message that you were sharing. And you started to talk about it in your opening statement. Just tell us about your experience because nobody can question your experience. I don't think anybody sitting at the, at, at the table and certainly nobody at this podium has had uh, the experience that you have had. You were talking about just the incredible surprise, shall I say, to put it gently, of finding a biological man, a six foot four biological man in your locker room and having to accept that without being asked about it, without being told about it even. What was that like for you? Tell us about that. I, again, we only became aware we would be undressing next to a man was when we had to see a man undressing while we were simultaneously undressing. And so I immediately left the locker room and I went up to one of the officials on the pool deck and I said, what are the guidelines to allow a man into our locker room? I know the guidelines for the competition, but what are the guidelines for the locker room? And he so nonchalantly said back, oh, we actually got around this by making locker rooms unisex. And so I'm thinking to myself in these brief moments, first and foremost, you just admitted this is a male by acknowledging how you had to change your rules to make the locker rooms unisex. You acknowledge that we do not share the same sex, first and foremost. Secondly, unisex? Any man could have walked into our locker room, any coach, any official, any man who wanted to would have had full reins to and bare minimum we weren't forewarned about it. And that's, that's the traumatizing part. Of course, the experience in and of the locker room itself is traumatizing, but I think for me, it was so easy for them to dismiss our rights to privacy. Um, Senator Durbin, in, in your opening statement, you had mentioned this rhetoric. It's... Um, 
you had mentioned that what message does it send to trans individuals? And my combat to that is what message does this send to women, to young girls who are denied of these opportunities? So easily their rights to privacy and safety thrown out of the window to protect a small population, protect one group as long as they're happy? What about us? That is the overall general consensus of how we all felt in that locker room. Why do, why do you think it is that the, the NCAA and so many people in power seem intent on just erasing your opinion, your views, the whole category of women? I noticed that recently you just posted this to social media about a message that Harvard was sending around, I think, to its swimmers telling them, don't talk about Leah Thomas, don't share your opinions. If you get contacted by a member of the media, then refer that to the university. Don't say anything, for heaven's sake. Tell us about this. I mean, this has been your experience over and over and over. You're told as a woman to shut up, don't say anything. What's that like? That is continually happening. And if we do speak up, you're immediately labeled as some some name. They will call you everything under the sun, whether it's transphobic, homophobic, racist, white supremacist, domestic terrorist, they will throw them all at you in hopes to deter you, in hopes to silence you. Um, Leah Thomas's teammates, they were forced every single week to go to mandatory LGBTQ education meetings to learn about how just by being cisgender, they were oppressing Leah Thomas. They were told that they are not allowed to take a stance because their school has already taken their stance for them. They were told that you will never get a job, you will never get into grad school, you will lose your friends, you will lose your scholarship and playing time if you speak out. They told these girls that if you do speak out, and any harm whatsoever comes towards Thomas's way, whether that's through social media, whether that's physical, mental, emotional harm, then you are solely responsible and you could be responsible for a potential death. And you don't want that, do you? Of course not. Who would ever want to be responsible in a potential death? But that is the emotional blackmail that is plaguing this country, especially in universities. Last question, and I'll, just, I'll ask this and then give you a chance to respond, and I'm, I'm done with this, Mr. Chairman. Um, let me give you a chance to respond to something that Leah Thomas said recently, publicly. This is, um, she said this publicly. They're using, this quote now, they're using the guise of feminism, they meaning you, using the guise of feminism to sort of push transphobic beliefs, meaning you advocating for women, women's rights, is actually just a cover for transphobia. Do you want to respond to that? Feminism is not a fluid term. Um, The original and and the meaning of what it means to be a feminist is to uphold, respect, honor, embrace, and celebrate women on our own physical ceilings, our own uniqueness. That term has not changed. Um, And what this really is is a a male mansplaining what it is to be a feminist, which I honestly think is pretty ironic, and it's something we've seen before. Thank you, Senator Hawley. Uh, The most amazing thing about what you just heard and that back and forth between Senator Hawley and Riley Gaines is this. I grew up in the era when women fought for women's rights. I mean, literally. We had demonstrations. We had marches across the nation. It was epic the way that it had happened. And I felt like then it was justifiable. And I still feel the same way. And it resulted in Title IX being adopted. The NCAA pushed that out. The government pushed it out, which meant that women in sports, especially in schools, women had to have equal opportunity as men. And that meant it was principally based upon the creation and the funding of sports, athletic, football, baseball, soccer, basketball, tennis, 
all of the sports that were in these schools, women had to have the exact same treatment and opportunities as did men, Title IX. And quite honestly, it changed the thinking of America. Put that in the context of the transing of the United States today and tell me, did women all of a sudden become irrelevant? Whatever happened to having, forcing freedom, equality across the board between men and biological women? And I use the term biological there because now we've changed the ability and the right to determine who's biologically this sex and who's biologically this sex because biology no longer matters. It's what we as a society choose to label someone with. So in the context of women's rights that women for decades and even generations have fought to get for themselves and their fellow women, why all of a sudden does it not matter anymore? to the left, to the Democrat fascist party. It doesn't even matter anymore. Now we don't talk about equality for women. We talk about equality for perspective of who is women and who is not and who falls into the social categories Those, of course, demand equal treatment, not under the law, but under definition by the hard left, the fascist Democrats that are out there. They have the unilateral authority to blow you away. If you're an old fogey and you still think Title IX is applicable to biology, you're not in the right place, you're not thinking correctly, and you are an idiot. Biology doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is identity. Anybody that chooses to be a squirrel has got to be treated just like a squirrel. And you can't even label them until they tell you, I identify as a squirrel. Does that sound stupid to you? It is. Very stupid. It makes absolutely no sense. Let me tell you something that does make sense. When we come back from this final break in the show, you're going to hear some COVID news, some real news, real bad news about COVID and its results. That's next at TNN Live. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti 
iced white mocha triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks uh, Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti green tea cream frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10, 10, 10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. Don't ever miss a story or podcast. Get an email link to every new story and podcast by entering your email address on the homepage of truthnewsnet.org. If it's relevant, you'll get it here. So what's the big news on COVID? Well, listen to these numbers I'm going to give you. These are vetted, verified numbers about COVID fallout, but it's not coming from the CDC or the National Institutes of Health. It's coming from the Health Improvement and Disparities Report of the BHF, which is the British Heart Foundation. Listen to this. Over 500 additional deaths a week involving heart disease. Over 500 additional deaths a week involving heart disease have been recorded in England since the beginning of COVID-19 began. And it's still happening. Based on data from the Office for Health Improvement and Disparities, the BHF, British Heart Foundation, revealed in a report that since February of 2020, there have been a total of 96,540 excess deaths involving cardiovascular conditions. That's an umbrella term for a range of everything from heart and blood vessel conditions that include heart attacks and strokes. BHF executive Dr. Charmaine Griffiths said, it is deeply troubling that so many more people with cardiovascular disease have lost their lives over the past three years. In the very first year of the pandemic, COVID infection drove high numbers of excess deaths involving this cardiovascular disease thing. While deaths from COVID-19 have since fallen year over year, the number of deaths involving cardiovascular disease have remained high above expected levels. Dr. Sonia Babu-Nararan, associate medical director at the BHF and consultant cardiologist said, COVID-19 no longer fully explains the significant numbers of excess deaths involving cardiovascular disease. 
So what's going on there? She said there may have been other contributing factors, including the disruptions to the NHS over the past few years. The charity said a major contributing factor has been the severe ongoing reduction and disruption to heart care in the NHS. The number of people waiting for time-sensitive cardiac care is at a record high of nearly 390,000 at the end of April in England. Average ambulance response times for heart attacks and strokes have consistently been more than 30 minutes since the beginning of 2022. There's also been significant disruption to the detection and management of high blood pressure and other conditions that put people at much greater risk of a heart attack or stroke. Dr. Babu said long waits for heart care are dangerous. They put somebody at increased risk of avoidable hospital admission, disability because of heart failure, and even premature death. Yet people are struggling to get potentially life-saving heart treatment when they need it due to a lack of NHS staff and space despite cardiovascular disease affecting record numbers of people. So what you just heard is kind of an indictment without question about socialized medicine, people having to wait a long time to get heart procedures done, even ambulances. It takes 30 minutes for one of them to get to take a patient that's had a heart attack or a stroke to the hospital. But regarding all things COVID-19, the obvious question is what role, if any, did vaccines play in this heart cardiovascular problem that is at epic proportions in Britain. The BHF said COVID-19 may potentially have caused a rise in these heart problems. It cites a separate study as showing those who caught the infection before the vaccine rollout were five times more likely to die in the 18 months after infection. Some studies have linked myocardial cardial inflammation to the mRNA vaccines, but the BHF played down the risk posed by the vaccines themselves. It said COVID-19 vaccine-associated myocarditis has been rare, more common in young men after a second vaccine dose, and fortunately shows a favorable clinical course in the vast majority of those affected. Myocarditis can cause heart scarring that can be detected with cardiac MRI, to mitigate the small chance of scarring causing a life-threatening arrhythmia in the time in the future, it's likely that affected individuals will be offered long-term follow-up and monitoring. Between December of 2020, February of this year, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency recorded 72 UK deaths suspected to be related to the COVID-19 vaccines. But the BHF said the benefits of getting COVID vaccines and reducing severe outcomes from COVID-19 infection in people living with those cardiovascular diseases greatly outweigh the risk of extremely rare side effects. 500 excess heart attack-related deaths a week. Since COVID-19 began, 
in the UK. Wow. Hey, listen, tomorrow's Friday. We've got a big show lined up for you for tomorrow. And as always, on the weekend, our Saturday bullet points, which is a summation of the biggest stories of the week, always comes out. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of the TNN Live, the Truth News Network family. Tell somebody about the show. Tell somebody about Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org, and the show. And then, of course, the stories that are published there. There is a great story on the front page today of truthnewsnet.org. Hey, we're going to take leave here, but we'll be back tomorrow morning, every Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Stop.